Well, good afternoon, Soihull. Great to see. Hope you can understand my southern accent as I've travelled this far north. <laughs> good to see you again. Thank you for having me and my friend Chris, who works with us in, in the office in Emmanuel Church, Oxford. So we're very pleased to be with you and uh, trust that we'll get some benefit from the next little while. We're <clears throat> uh, looking at Jesus building his church. So Rob said, will I speak on that? Or we talked about it and felt that would be a good thing to do. Uh, and I think it'll be in three sessions. So this is number two uh, of Jesus building his church. Looking at Ephesians, which is such a brilliant book for that, and seeing what does it say, taking a number of items out of it. And just to recap, we said last time how much there was passion and strength in the in the letter, that it wasn't a kind of fairly dry doctrinal thesis. It was Paul really in his uh, high state of inspiration and excitement as he uh, just spilled over himself with sentences that were uh, very, very long, like the, the first one in Ephesians 1, uh, where we had to put commas and full stops in. He didn't have those. He just moved, flowed from one feeling to another so stirred up by the thought of what God had done in Christ and what it meant for the church to be who they were. And uh, two things we looked at last time uh, was that Paul was, was inspired because he of the amazing family, the amazing community that the church is, which um, came out of, stemmed out of the amazing community of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we saw how... An, number of occasions the Trinity were mentioned in in just a short space of a, of a, a few words or even sentences, and how the importance of that was for a people who experience the living presence of God. How important that is. That if we are, or as we are, part of the family of God, it would be very strange if none of that Trinity was with us, and we just got on with something quite formal and and structured, but with no presence of the one who's made us family in the first place. So that our Father is with us, our, the Son of God is with us, the Saviour and Lord of our lives, and the Spirit of God is, is with us. And that's what makes something of what church is. It's the people meeting with God, experiencing the presence of God in their community. Secondly, we looked at the content and the impact of God's blessing on us, the evidence of God's grace reading particularly or mainly in in, in chapter 1 of the, the fact that he's chosen us, he's predestined us, he's redeemed us, he's uh, lavished his, his kindness upon us, he's uh, predestined us to be conformed to the image of his own dear son, he's sealed us with his spirit, he's, he's given us the opportunity to understand what's going to happen, what's going on. Right at the end, everything will be gathered together under one head, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gets very stirred by that, not surprising, and so should we, that we have such a blessing from God when we didn't deserve anything at all, whether that's as individuals or people who were at each other's throats and hated one another, and God uh, brought us from being estranged from him, disinterested in him, even hating him, and coming to love him with a passion, and to find, amazingly, we could actually love one another as well, in a way that was utterly impossible before because of what Christ has done for us and what God has done for us in Christ. So those two things are clearly there. A people, a church is the people who love the presence of God, the living presence of God. 
They love to be in community. And they're just amazed at the blessing that God has put upon them. And uh, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And how Paul was praising that, praising God, praising his glorious grace. That's what pulls out of us what an astonishing thing God has done. And so we're a people who love the blessing of God and know who we are in Christ, whether that's individual or corporately. Now, just recently, in the last couple of months, uh, it had happened when I came last time, uh, but it's still on its way, and my wife, Margaret, has fractured her heel. Uh, and it's getting better, which is great, and she's still got her crutches, and she's beginning to move a bit, and now I can get her back to work and, and doing all the things, and uh, she's a good girl. <laughs> she's, she's getting better. I've had a cataract operation a couple of weeks ago, um, and uh, that's great. I'm seeing much better now, and I'm waiting to get some new glasses, and I think that's going to be fun to see what happens, what I can see then. And we live in Oxford. Well, what a good place to live if you need something done on your body. You see, because uh, Margaret m- met the the top spe- one of the top specialists in the country to do uh, with fractures and the like. I was attended by Professor McLaren, who's who is one of the key people in this country, probably in the world, to do with retinal situations. And so we had these experts at hand, and you felt the confidence of that, where you thought, well, it can't get any better treatment than this. But the other thing is the amazing recuperation of the body itself, even at our age. <laughs> so, uh, cataract on a, operation on a Thursday, patch on overnight, keep it on overnight so you don't bash your eye, take it down in the morning, start putting drops in. Well, the next day, it just feels like normal. And that's where you've got to really be careful because, you, you know, I like doing things, and I like being active, and you've got to not be quite so active for a while. Two weeks later, here I am two weeks later. I mean, it's all hunky-dory. And Margaret's foot is getting better and knitting together. Uh, when they looked at it in the CT scan, they said, yeah, it, it's it's a straight fracture, It's that's good, and it's starting to, to bond together. It's getting sticky. That must be a kind of very professional term for goo and stuff coming and getting the bones putting together. But we were just so grateful for the experts that we had in Oxford and our own body's resources. And one of the things I want to look at, or a couple of things I want to look at today, is that the church um, is described as Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And that fullness, in a sense, apart from anything else, means the church is, is healthy. It has a sense of health in it. Otherwise, it would be a strange expression, wouldn't it, to say, if we're all weak and wobbly as a church, well, that's a fullness. Is it? It doesn't feel like it. So the body is going to be of Christ is going to be healthful, uh, healthy. How can Paul be sure that the body will be healthy and stay healthy? Well, the fact is, he will explain that it has expert, skillful attention from the Godhead fully trained in all that they're anticipating doing to keep the body healthy, and the body itself has its own resources to keep healthy. And the two things I want to look at there is prayer. <laughs> it's not that bad. Um, and, uh, and the resources we have among ourselves, how can we benefit from them? What would the church be like? 
that is like that. Let's read firstly then in Ephesians 1 and verse 15 to 23. So if you have Bibles, I trust you do have Bibles. And chapter 1 verse 15 says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for the care that you have over us. Thank you you've given us Jesus Christ to look after us and to keep us healthy, shape us as a body and keep us firm and strong and the purpose for which we're to be fit and healthy. We thank you, Jesus, you're doing that. You're causing that to happen. We thank you, Holy Spirit, you're with us to bring about the actual living uh, fact and application of that in our lives as individuals and in our lives together as God's people. And we do pray we might understand the word here and get benefit from it. Amen. So first of all, in this passage, and it's not just the only one in Ephesians, but in this passage, you, what we see is that Paul knows that his prayers, or he's expecting, and he's stirred by the fact that his prayers, and therefore ours, can draw in expert help due to God's accomplishment in Christ by the Spirit. So Margaret and I had confidence um, in the skill of specialist. Paul has a confidence in making contact through and in prayer. So he says, because of, of what I've been explaining to you, I'm praying that you may have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you might know God better. Because if you do, if you can understand him and have increased confidence in him, you'll be able to do the things you're called together to do. And he says, I want you to understand other things too, the hope of your calling, etc. He will also use that later on, that praying um, aspect, and we'll look at it there, um, is that he base its prayer based on what is available in God. Note that we, we started by uh, the, the, the verse 15 by saying, for this reason. In chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, for this reason. In chapter 3 and verse 14, it says, for this reason. That's because Paul got excited after the first verse of, well, not there was a verse then, let's say, of chapter 3 dived off in a diversion bit, came back again in verse 14 to pick up what he said in verse 1. When you get through to chapter 6, verses 18 to 20, he says, with this in mind. And all those things, it's saying something has been said before that can lead you to have confidence in prayer. And in fact would encourage you to be a church that prays. So in this, on, in chapter 1, what's What's uh, What does it mean for this reason? What reason? 
Well, the reason he's just explained them that we looked at last time, he says, all of you people have been amazingly chosen before the foundation of the earth. You've been called of God. You've been predestined to be adopted as sons. You've been successfully brought into that. You've been thoroughly redeemed. You've had God's grace lavished on you. You've been called to know about the finished work in Christ right through to the ends of the ages and what's going to be accomplished through him. And the Spirit of God has been given to you, sealing you. Now, for this reason, he says, I'm praying that you might know that God even better still. And he says, for this reason, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, that you might know this, what, the hope of your calling, the riches of God's inheritance in the saints, and the incomparably great power that's at work within you. Believe in him. That's similar to how he raised Christ from the dead. Seated him afar above all, all and reign. When we come to pray, we have to have a reason to pray with confidence. And, and this is one of the reasons uh, that we have, is what God has done for us in Christ is to, is to, is to had so much impact that we can say, well, that being the case, when we come together with prayer, and particularly when we come together for, for prayer, though it is for us individually, we can expect to to be in touch with the, the, the skillful experts and say, well, in that case, Lord God, enlarge our understanding of the hope of our calling. What does it mean? What are you expecting from us? What, do you, what can we achieve by your calling on us? How big is it? How wide is it? What, what kind of things can we expect? Well, you said everything's going to be gathered together under one head in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how's that going to happen? Oh, wait, hang on a minute. The prophet says, Isaiah says, of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end because there's a wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace. And so we have a confidence in prayer, not because, well, we're good Christians and we come to prayer meetings and we're supposed to do that kind of thing, aren't we? And if we make enough noise and wave our hands around enough, something should be achieved. No, we come with confidence. We may shout and wave our hands around, but our main confidence is for this reason. Thanks be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. For this reason, we're believing God's going to be among us. God's going to fulfill the calling he has on us as his people. This strange uh, expression, his glorious inheritance in the saints, which is a bit to get your mind around really, isn't it? That we are a glorious inheritance. Our saints... And that amazing power that's going to be that's available to us that gives us confidence in prayer. If you go through to chapter chapter three, you're finding that when he gets round to it eventually, he said, "For this reason, what's this reason? Well, what's just gone before in chapter two that God is bringing both Jew and Gentile together into a temple where He will dwell by His Spirit. For this reason." I kneel before the Father in heaven from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is derived and I pray that you will be filled with the Spirit in your innermost being and you will know the length, breadth, height, depth of love of God and that, that Christ will be formed in you by faith and that God will do more than you ask or imagine according to his great power that's at work within you through the generations forever and ever. That's what he prays out of the fact that God has reconciled Jew and Gentile together, in other words, anybody, 
he can bring together, however much their enmity was there before. And he, he is building them together to be a temple, a place where God dwells by his spirit. So when we come together for prayer, we can pray for that. Okay, in that case, Lord, will you please fill this company with your spirit? Pour it out. We're one of the families from which we derive our name. We derive it from you. You're our father. Pour out your spirit upon us. May we know that length, breadth, height and depth of love that surpasses understanding and that will form Christ in our hearts through faith. Please do it, Lord. Come and do it. Let others find it when we go out in the streets and so on. May they find, oh, what's this love coming here? What kind of spirit have these people got that I'm, that I'm just being stirred in such a way? Well, it comes out of our praying for this reason. Or right at the end in chapter 6, of course, he's talking about the fact that uh, finally, brethren, put on the whole armor of God. Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, etc. Sword of the Spirit, shield of faith. And it says, with this in mind. Same kind of thing, really. He could have said, for this reason. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Be alert and pray. Ah, so what's that for? Well, the fact is that we are equipped to be protected and to be in battle. Because it's not defensive armor. There is some defensive in it. But you wear armor, really, because you're in a battle and you're reckoning to win the battle. And he says, well, when you understand that, when you understand that as a people you can have the helmet of subversion, the breastplate of righteousness and so on, then you can pray with confidence in the Spirit at all times for anything that's going to bring glory to God. And the enemy will find himself subject to that intercession with the specialist in heaven who is able to fulfill the prayers that you are praying. See, it makes quite a difference to a prayer meeting. Actually, it makes a lot of difference to a prayer meeting. And it's just as it's good, it was helpful for us, for Margaret and me, to live in Oxford, because we've got all the experts there. It's good that we live in a kingdom where the leading specialist in church matters works, who is on staff, i.e. King Jesus. Want to know how a church works? Well, you've got the leading specialist. You've got connection with him. You can go there, don't have to pay parking or anything. Just to come, and you come as a people, say, Lord Jesus, your head over the church, you're the specialist, what do we do next? How does Jubilee Church work next? What does it do next? You're the specialist, you're the boss. We're not building the church, you're building the church, thank you very much. Please will you tell us what do we do next? Well, you can have confidence to ask that, because you're going to the specialist. (laughs) There's no one else that knows how to build the church. Only he does. And he makes a very good job of it. Hence we see the importance of the church praying. That when you get together as a church to pray, and I trust you do, and I trust lots of you get together, and it's a challenge because it's one of the big things the enemy will go for, is to stop prayer. Because he knows this. We can be sometimes a bit slow in picking it up. Prayer meeting. Hard work prayer meeting. Well, not if you know the reason why you're coming together and you have confidence that your prayers will be heard in accordance with his word. 
When he hears, he will answer. Jesus says, you can ask him anything in my name and he'll do it for you. Big, big statements in here. That makes an awful difference to a church prayer meeting. Boy, you can really going to get stirred up. I wonder what God's going to do tonight as we get together. What prophetic words are we going to hear? What's going to happen? Yeah, we may have some subjects to pray for, but what's going to happen as we pray for them? What's God going to say? Are we going to find ourselves caught up in the Spirit? Are we going to find an Acts 4 prayer meeting where the building shakes? don't know how you explain it to the church leaders here, but I'm sure they won't mind if it shakes a bit. The Spirit comes. That's the kind of prayer meetings we're looking for. And that's uh, certainly in Emmanuel Church, we, we look to have times of prayer that are uh, we, we trust based on confidence in knowing who God is and what God has done and what what is the future ahead? What are some of the aspects of the future ahead, even if we need to know others? So when we come, we, we will spend time uh, just praising God again, getting our kind of focus right, getting in touch with the specialist, if you like, saying, right, okay, let's move into the heavenly atmosphere. And then after a time, we'll move into prayer and look for God to answer prayers, and he does. In Ephesians, you will find, we've mentioned it in our reading, there is prayer about wisdom. We need that. There's prayer about revelation. We definitely need that. There's prayer about Holy Spirit power. Yes, we'll have that one as well. There's prayer about faith, love, unity, warfare, and witness. As you run through, you'll find there's prayer associated with those, and probably I've missed out a few anyway. All of those things we will need to know as a church. And, and a church built by Jesus has this privileged link with the experts of heaven. And we can ask for wisdom and revelation and Holy Spirit power and everything because we have a reason for asking for it. It's not that we've thought, wouldn't it be a good idea? God has said this and God has said that. Well, in that case, we'll pray along those lines. Makes sense. We'll do that. And that prayer comes out and is strengthened by that little phrase which is repeated in one of his other epistles, which is a, a lovely phrase in verse 15. He says, for this reason, and then he puts in, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So he's saying, there's something about the fact that you have faith in Jesus Christ and love for all the saints that I'm confident in my praying that what I'm praying for will happen among you. When you come to prayer, you are a people who have faith in Lord Jesus Christ and a love for all the saints. May I be bold enough to say, if you have the first and not the second, I would question the first. Because when we come to the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we've discovered discovered in Ephesians 1, not only are we as individuals saved, we discover, going to Ephesians 2, that actually he's united people who shouldn't be united in the world's eyes. And suddenly we love the saints. Funny people that we are, we actually love one another. And when we come together for prayer, we love being together with God's people and praying together with God's people. And then we had we hear so-and-so over there praying, think, yes, she really knows about that. We know her life. We love her. We love the way she prays. Fantastic. It's all genuine stuff. <laughs> or this guy over here prays. And, yeah, faithful guy. He's just stuck in there for the years. You know. Hey, 
Great stuff. And it builds strength in our prayers. We have faith in Jesus Christ and love for all the saints. And it comes out of that kind of atmosphere. That's the atmosphere for the effective prayer that you, you, you see in both Acts 2 and, and Acts 4. But when they were praying, and the day of Pentecost came, when they were praying in Acts 4, uh, because of opposition, the building shakes. It goes, it's, oh, I love this prayer meeting. This is amazing. I'm going to get in on this. Shake the building. And they're saying, oh, Lord, you raise your hand. You know, they've been opposed to you, but you raise your hand. You do that task. Everybody was praying in unison. doesn't mean they all prayed the same thing necessarily. But they were together in prayer because they loved one another. And they had a faith in this amazing Christ who had been raised from the dead and was seated far above all rule and authority and power, etc. And Paul's prayer in verses 18 and 19 we read arises out of knowing the power available which answers the prayer. So in, in verses 19 to 21 you'll find there are power words, words piled up one on top of another so that you have... Um, and this incomparably, listen, it's not just one word, it's as if he hasn't got enough words to put together. This incomparably great power for us to believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And those are power words in a city, if you read in, in Acts 19, in a city that was steeped in the worship of Diana of the Ephesians. And if you read the account in Acts 19 of what happened there, you will find that people brought their books, their occult books, and burnt them, and they were equivalent to 50,000 denarii. That is approximately one day's wages. Unless I've got it calculated wrong, that is about 200 years of wages. 200 man years. And the wealth, uh, the, 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 value of them was not so much in the books themselves, it was in what they thought was the magic and the power in the books. That's why people would pay lots of money for them. When people became believers, they say, we don't want that power, we've got far greater power. So burn those, even though it's, we paid lots of money for them down in the bookshop. Pay, that, that's rubbish now. We've got this power that's far above every rule and authority and dominion. And notice what it says, in the present age and the age to come. Now, wouldn't you think it would be the other way around? It's far above in the coming age, oh, and to a certain extent now. No, no, he actually puts present age first. And the coming age, as if say, well, coming age, of course. But it's the present age this power is available. And somehow or other, you and I, I think, of, we're still saying, God, could you help us to understand this a bit better, please? We seem to kind of touch it a bit and then it fades away. And, Do you really mean that? Yes, it says, that's why I put it in there. I want you to come to prayer understanding what is available through Jesus Christ. And he says this, Church, you doing this praying, you're the fullness of him who fills all in all. He says, you can fill the world's system with the goodness and power of God. It's part of governing God's word, world. So Jesus' church is like him, not surprisingly. 
acquainted with prayer. And Paul is inspired by this thought. And hopefully we are too. Ever thought of prayer like that before? Ever thought of church prayer meetings like that before? Well, if we can kind of get the right perspective on this, biblical perspective, then we might be expecting our church meetings to be more and more full of the power of God for this reason, with confidence. Secondly, just want to look at the other aspect, the natural resources, if you like. I was in the building industry for 20 years. I was trained and then I went into management and so on. And most of my time in the building industry, I suppose, was often spent in resourcing that's getting men and materials, making sure they're on the job at the time, and if they weren't, finding somebody else, finding the materials, getting the best prices for them, etc. That's a lot of my administrative management was to do with that, otherwise the thing doesn't get built. The, it, that was done in order to ensure that the building was built to the architect's design, to the proper standards, on time, and profitable. How can Paul be sure that the church will be built properly to right standards, to the proper design, on time, and profitable? I nearly didn't put the last bit in, and then I thought, well, why not? Turn to Ephesians 4. I'm sure you'll know the passage, but it won't do us any harm to go through it. Verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your form. I'm just realised I'm reading the wrong bit. I thought that didn't sound right. That's next time. <laughs> okay, wind the tape back a bit, and we'll go to uh, verse 7. That is weird. Sorry about that, folks. Never mind. Here we go. Chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended in the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is the resourcing that Christ does to the body that he's building. When the um, warfare, I suppose must be the right word, that's taking place in Afghanistan, um, about a year or so ago, maybe more than that, in the fairly early stages, there was a problem because the resources that the British Army people had were not sufficient for the task. 
some of the uh, equipment was faulty or, or substandard. Some of the armoured vehicles were not strong enough to withstand some of the explosives that were being used by those they were fighting with. They needed proper resources to be able to achieve their aims and their purposes. And we need that in the church. The church is a properly resourced people. And it's done by resources that are given from the ascended Christ for the sake of the whole body. Gifts of people for the people. So what we find here is that we can individually have gifts of grace, get grace gifts, um, as Romans 12 will indicate, that, that we have a measure of grace gifts. It might be prophesying, it might be giving, it might be leading, it might be mercy. We can have those individually. Here, actually, what is happening is that Christ is giving people to be gifts to the body. Now, each one of those has gifts in themselves to be able to do the task they're supposed to do. So you have apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. And this is how the ascended Christ continues building his body by equipping his body with health through those who can do that kind of preparation for, for the people of God. And what makes, I suppose, a difference to these kind of functions, these fourfold or fivefold functions, is not just that most of them, or probably all of them, have some teaching aspect in them, but it's the spirit within them that touches that teaching aspect that has, by the grace of God and by the appointment of the ascended Christ, an ability to impart into the church an understanding of what their head, Jesus Christ, is expecting of them and will do for them. So the apostle will, make, will bring an understanding of the fact that we're a missional community. We have strong foundations and we're on the move taking what Christ did further and further into the place in which we live and the world in which we live. Jesus started doing something, we continue doing something. Apostles come with that kind of spirit so that a people get that. It is teaching, it almost certainly comes from teaching, but it has an impartation with it as well. The prophet will come and it will be a certain amount of teaching they will do, but they'll impart something to a people who begin to or increasingly understand we only move and can only move by the Spirit. If as a mission or community we're going to be able to perform and, and succeed in this task, it can only be done by the Spirit of Christ being with us. Now we can be taught that <laughs> and agree, not, mm, mm, or we can find people come among us and by the way they demonstrate that as well as teaching that, you suddenly catch it. You think, yes, of course, of course. And so something's been imparted. Well, it's come via this gift from the ascended Christ, but it's part of what Christ does in continuing to build his church. Because he is the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist and the pastor teacher. You will find the evangelist comes and, yes, can teach the gospel and people will get saved, but actually the people of God, when they receive an evangelist, will suddenly become a people who grow in confidence in talking with their neighbours and their friends and are expecting to see people saved and are longing to see people saved and something's imparted. It's more than, oh, I suppose we've got to do some evangelism. 
it's suddenly, oh, come on, for goodness sake, let's get out there. I mean, who knows what might happen? <laughs> Rather than, oh, I suppose we've got to go out. And you go out next time next Sunday, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm not sure I'm an evangelist, but if you, here's some impartation from the rest of Christ. So you can go out and think, hey, this is going to be fun. I wonder who we're going to talk to. I wonder who we get a chance to pray with. What about that person? <laughs> Beeline. Let's pray for them. We're chatting to someone. Oh, thank you very much for that invite. Oh, sorry. I've got this bad thing. Oh, you've got a bad thing. Let me pray for you. <laughs> they be healed in the name of Jesus. Oh, thank you. Well, why not? Well, people equip us for that. We catch it. We get daring. We think, oh, I think I can do that. I'm going to have a go at that. And then the pastor and the teacher imparts to us a love for the Word of God and a growing understanding for the Word of God and biblical thinking and biblical action becomes normal to us. And in fact, we, we find we want it. What does God say? What's God say? What's God say on this? That's if you get the right passage, of course. <laughs> Or we love loving. We love being kind. We love to see people uh, grow and use their gifts. And and, we, and it worries us when we see they they somehow are kind of pulling back a bit from Christ. And so we get alongside them and say, "What's the what's the matter, John? What's the matter, Sarah? You know, come on, let's let's have some coffee together. Let's talk. What, what's can't we just pray together? What how about what God, what God says here? What about?" You know, Jesus did this for you. Do you feel you've got hold of that? Can, can we pray? You get a church, you feel like... You don't have a church who's saying, oh, we have a couple of pastors. We have three elders on staff, you know, or two elders on staff. Oh, yes, two elders on staff. Well, they do that bit. Well, they will do that bit. But the ascended Christ says, no, no, I want more of that. <laughs> and so he gives the gifts for that. So you have the formation of churches receiving the empowering of the risen Christ through these giftings. And that's how he fulfills his promise, I will build my church. And he carries that responsibility seriously and effectively by both giving and interceding for us. Romans 8.34 and Hebrews 7.25 says that he ever lives to intercede for us. Now that's not just praying, I think it probably is, Praying, it's certainly conversation with his Father and direction to the Holy Spirit. But it's also a standing in between. It's bringing heaven and earth together. It's an intercession that draws heaven down to earth and earth up to heaven, as it were, and equips his beloved body for the task to which he has called them. And the intent is to prepare God's people for works of service, not a few specialists. But God's people. When I came into the building industry in the 60s, early 60s, I joined a firm uh, in mid-Sussex that had 125 direct employees. It's quite unusual now. It's not a big firm, but it had a number of... Mostly it was it, it was that. Gradually over 10, 20 years, uh, lots of them went to become subcontractors and things. But at that time, there was a five-year apprenticeship to become properly trained in being a chippy or a bricky or whatever, or a plumber, 
not just to know what you were supposed to do, but mentored and coached along someone who, alongside someone who knew how to do it. Sadly, come 80s or 90s, that apprentice system dropped, and that's why we have so much problem now finding some craftsmen. <laughs> you know, kind of, do you know anybody who can do a proper job, please? <laughs> yep, there you are. Now, you probably had a five-year apprenticeship, did you? Yeah. And you weren't paid very much while you were... No. <laughs> well, the intent was to prepare somebody so they could be equivalent to the craftsman who was training them. So they could do curved brickwork. Or they would know how to set a roof if they were a chippy. Or do a central heating system if they were a plumber. They'd know how to do it. They'd seen it done. They'd worked at it. They'd been adjusted by the expert. It's okay, don't worry. Don't worry, I'll pick it up in a minute. Thank you. And so God's people are prepared to do the works of service. They're prepared by teaching, envisioning, impartation and releasing. So you might ask this. If the saints are not carrying out the works of service, either one, perhaps Ephesians 4 gifts may be missing, or two, the saints don't want to. <laughs> or three, the saints have not been released into the works of service. So those of us in leadership need to know that we're getting that equipping and that impartation that the ascended Christ has given right through to the end of time. That we have a people who are stirred, missionally intentional to go out and that we release you to do it. Because there's gifts galore in this company of people here. And part of this, the uh, getting before God that your leaders will do, I trust, and I, I would do in our leadership scene, is to say, Lord, who's got what and where do you want it releasing and when? Otherwise there'll be saints who are going rusty and not fulfilling the call upon their life, his life, her life. And that process is part, if you like, of the corporate working out of the good works of Ephesians 2 verse 10. See, in chapter 1 of Acts, Luke said this, I've got together information, I've looked at it carefully, I've studied it, so that I can tell you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. The implication is that when you read the rest of the Acts, that's Jesus continuing to do and teach. Well, he'd gone by two-thirds of the way through the first chapter. He'd returned to heaven, but the Spirit was coming, and when the Spirit comes, he says, you'll be witnesses to me right across the face of the earth. You will carry on doing what I did and teaching what I taught. And he commissioned them to do that. So we have a church of mission sent to do the same things as Jesus Christ. What are those works of service likely to be in continuing his ministry? I suggest if you looked at Luke 4 and verse 18 onwards, you would find what that was. And his statement at the start is this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he's anointed me. To bring redemption. Really, the full gamut of redemption. So the Spirit of the Lord is upon us to continue that work of redemption, to declare and explain the truth, to tell the gospel to the poor, to proclaim God's grace, to proclaim freedom to the captives, 
and to release and to heal. That's part of what he said in that um, Luke 4, and obviously that was from one, from the prophet of Isaiah. That's works of service. Whatever way that's worked out practically, it will have those ingredients in it, those elements in it. It will bring good news to people. And people are longing to hear good news. They're so fed up with bad news. Is there any good news around? Yes, there is. Let me tell you about it. Come and meet some friends of mine. You'll find acceptance. You'll find love. You'll find appreciation. You'll find support. You'll find help. You'll find plain speaking truth. You'll find Jesus Christ. You'll find salvation. You'll find forgiveness of sins. Really good news for you. Mend the brokenhearted. So many brokenhearted people. Bring understanding to people who don't understand. Sight to those who are blind. Literally that will be, on some occasions, sight back to those who are blind. Releasing captives. How many people are captive? Prisoners. Held by fears and doubts and addictions and, and hurts from the past and everything. Just captives of this whole thing. Tied down, bound, restricted, not being who they're supposed to be when God created them. The church is a people who are equipped and healthy to carry on doing the things that Jesus did in touch with the experts of heaven who know how to make that work by sending power from heaven to go together with our, if you like, natural resources as the people of God and to see the impact of God's gospel coming on the earth. Expert provision, natural resources, healthy body of Christ. Jubilee. Enjoy your prayer meetings. Receive those who come among you, teach you, not just what they say. Suck it out of them, suck their life, get imparted with life from those who come to serve you in that way from evangelists and pastors and teachers, or, or you have pastors and teachers with you, apostles and prophets. It's not just some funny new system that some charismatics are doing. It's been there all the time. It is the ascended Christ. I mean, it's as serious as that. You can't, we can't stand here and say, I'm not sure we have apostles and prophets now. Well, don't you have Jesus Christ? Well, of course you do. Well, you've got to have them then, because that's what he's like. How's he going to carry on building his church? Well, he's going to do it that way. And he's going to use weak men who depend on him and who he said, I'll have that one and they're going to be this. And I'm appointing them to go and be that to that people. Here you are, I'm giving him to you. It's a gift to you. He is with his spirit. And it's the spirit of the ascended Christ who's still building his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Full of the power of God. Ready to release captives. Carrying on bringing redemption into the earth. Changing people's hearts and minds and practices. Bringing glory to God. That's the key thing in the end. Bringing glory to God. That more people are going to love God and worship God as they should do. Amen. Father, we do thank you for your amazing love and kindness to us and we pray you carry on equipping us to be uh, Jesus please to be those who can serve you properly and 
fully and faithfully. Thank you for this dear company of people here. I pray that you will use them and use them in Solihull and other places. Lord, I pray for even next week when they go out, ask for huge, wonderful surprises of uh, people out there who have no in- intention of touching you, suddenly encountering you, no, never thought about it, and suddenly they're face to face with people who know the living God. Pray for it, Lord. It's as big as that. We ask you for that uh, reading uh, we, uh, in Ephesians, Lord, that, that says he can do far more than we ask or imagine. And as we ask you, as we come to prayer, please help us to pray with confidence because of what you said, what you've done, what you've achieved in Christ. And may our prayers be full of boldness and be full of courage and be full of determination. Help us in this, Holy Spirit. We, we don't know how to pray sometimes, as your word says. We ask you to help us in prayer as we call out to you. Give us understanding of what to ask for, when to ask for it, and why to ask for it. And I pray you would release the gifting and equipping that you put in the saints here, Lord. And as they work together, loving one another, I pray you take hold of all the vibrant life that's here, put in this place for this time, for purpose, and and bring salvation out of it in all its different forms and shapes, Lord, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, David. That's wonderful. Let's just thank him, shall we? It's just a real honour to have a father in the faith uh, just ministering to us. So I want to just thank you for that, David. It's wonderful. We're going to have uh, coffee now. Just to explain, uh, you need to go outside into the cold to get your coffee. <laughs>